Welcome to the Green Element Podcast, where business and sustainability come together. So welcome to the Green Element Podcast. Thank you, Nick, for joining us. Um, well, why don't we start off with, if you tell us a bit about your business and what you're trying to achieve through your business, please. Yeah, so my, my business, I was the, I founded Emissions Analytics back in 2011, and it was a the motivation was observing that most of the official data uh, initially focusing on fuel economy, so MPG, but also emissions were very misleading. They seriously underestimated real world emissions and overestimated real world MPG. Uh, and, and rather than just uh, doing a one-off study and publishing an article and leaving it there, what I was interested in is whether you could create a, a, a parallel system. Okay. What, what the official system should have been. Uh, so what, was, it, was it possible to test lots of vehicles for their real world emissions and publish them for the general public and fleets and business and even manufacturers to use? Uh, and uh, we considered a number of different types of technology for doing measurement and business models to be able to finance it. Uh, but we de decided in the end on uh, something called PEMS, which is Portable Emissions Measurement System. And it's essentially, a, a, it's a gas analyzer that you strap on a car and you sniff what comes out of the tailpipe. Um, you sniff what comes out very accurately and second by second which gives you a very detailed picture of, of, of the real world performance as a car drives along on the public highway. In terms of the technology of it, it is very similar to what you find in a laboratory. It's just packaged up into a small, smallish box, which can go in inside any type of vehicle. Um, and uh, so we, we hired, we bought some equipment, hired some people and, and got testing and, and decided, you know, the truth's in the data. You know, that's, I'm a great believer in you know, the, the empirical data uh, leads uh, to then good decisions. Uh, and my training is as a, an economist. And, you know, what I was just seeing that the, the market was failing terribly because of, of this bad data. And, uh, you know, people were uh, buying the wrong cars for their purpose and manufacturers were building the wrong cars uh, and this needed to be uh, put right. Um, I did not expect something of the dramatic shape and size of Dieselgate, um, but essentially that was that 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 was the point that marked the the, the end uh, for for these very convenient but deeply misleading official numbers, uh, and it's really now opened up um, you know the whole uh, field of real world emissions, and, uh, and and so our business is you know centered on that, and we're expanding in in, in terms of testing more vehicles, testing more pollutants in more countries. Uh, and that, that's our you know, plan for the coming years. So how do, you how do you choose which vehicles you want to test? Do you just choose the most popular ones that are sold and work down from there? or? Um, well, we, firstly, we try and test as many as we can get our hands on. And, and we're te roughly testing about 300 per year. So it's a, it's a very large program uh put it in context the, the the environmental protection agency in the u.s runs a, a real world program and they test about 150 a year so uh, uh you know we, we, so, so our numbers are high but our primary sampling method is new vehicles as they're launched 
So whether they're big sellers or small sellers, we have a range across that and a range across 35 different manufacturers I think we've tested so far. Um, but really, we're largely reactive uh, to things being launched. But what that means is that we are testing things you know, as they're brand new and come to the market. So our data is right up to date. I've got so many questions. I don't even know where to start. Um, I, I actually went, I looked up my vehicle uh, and you've actually got it. A VW Transporter, we converted it into a camper van. And um, it came out as A++. And I noticed uh, that some of them are A's and some of them are A-pluses. Is that a good sign? Or um, like, what, what should we be looking for when we go on and look up our vehicles on your site? Um, can I ask, was that, was that for, for the NOx emissions on the Equa AQ rating or was it um, uh, one of the other? Rating. Oh, now you're asking. The reason the reason I ask is because um, I'm assuming that ca camper van is a diesel. Is yes, right? it is. Yeah, it is right. diesel. Okay, so now, well, you 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 in a way hit right to the heart of the point is that whether or not um, uh, let's assume you're talking about the Knox rating. Yeah. Um, at the moment, what you've got is uh, so diesel vehicles, which are, everyone thinks that they're all dirty. Uh, and would be getting, I don't know, F, G and H ratings on our scale. Um, mm. Actually, in amongst the dirty ones are hiding some really clean ones. So there, there's now at least 30, maybe now 40 um, uh, diesel vehicles that have got an A rating or better for NOx. Right. Um, and, and that and, and, and that's the significant, that's the significance of, of, of um, you know, really, biggest most relevant current significance is that at the time that cities are looking to sort of do pretty draconian bans on diesels uh, and uh, and governments are certainly setting policies which are even though they say it's technology neutral uh, are uh, you know, looking to squeeze diesel out of the market uh, it's just at the moment the manufacturers are actually bringing forward some very clean diesels and and, and some of which are cleaner than the equivalent petrol vehicle right. um, but if you interviewed 100 people on the street there would be not very many people who would appreciate uh, this yeah. but it, it is but it's true and actually taking it even further than that so let, let's say the diesel vehicle has equivalent NOx emissions to a petrol if yeah. you then look at CO2, well, the diesel will have about 18% less CO2 than the petrol. It will mm -hmm. have about three quarters less particles than the petrol. Um, and it will have lower carbon monoxide than the petrol as well, almost certainly. So you, we're now in a situation where there are some, and, and it is a minority, I hasten to say, mm -hmm. but, but there are a, a good handful now of diesels out there which are probably better in all material respects than the equivalent petrol yet people have abandoned buying diesels in large numbers and most of them have switched back to buying petrols so the consequence of dieselgate and the policy reaction to it uh, has been to make air quality worse and make greenhouse gas emissions worse right uh, the worse the, the, than they otherwise should be. If, if, so if why is it that Joe Public and I put myself into this category um, think diesel is dirtier? Because and originally and initially, diesel was brought in; it was cheaper, 
because there's less refiner there's less of a refinery process that goes into it am i and therefore it's in my view and it sounds like it's wrong um it's dirtier so what how is this is it because they've been able to change and manipulate the fumes that come out of it um and made it less clean or more clean well yes yeah, so what so the, the diesels the reason diesel was incentivized in the first place is it, that it is about like for like 25 percent more efficient so better mpg than petrol and about 18 percent less co2 than petrol so when the then labor government was really pushing the climate change agenda a, a big increase in the penetration of diesel vehicles was seen as a way of rapidly and significantly reducing our co2 emissions and actually that 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 was actually a, a good thinking it was it was a good rationale but the, the problem the problem was the air quality side of it and diesel if left if untreated will emit significantly more nitrogen oxides than petrol which is a local air pollutant which leads to health problems and the european regulations um that were meant to guard and make sure that vehicles were low nox which is called the, the euro stages so we're currently euro six and um uh, and uh, Euro 5 before that, uh, which ended in 2015. Um, they, they were things which were meant to say, right, NOx will be very low and they need to meet this standard. The problem was due to the incestuous way that the regulators and the OEMs are in Europe, they, they, they drafted the regulations in such a way as they were full of loopholes. When you say so, OEM, do you mean like VW, Ford? Yeah, the car manufacturers. Yeah, yeah, the oh. car manufacturers. Okay. So they're far, far too close to each other uh, in Europe, and so it created a series of regulations that sounded great on the surface of it, but contained all sorts of perfectly legal loopholes, which meant you could technically meet the Euro standard, but when you drove the car on the road, the the NOx emissions were much, much higher. Um, and that's what that was going on for years and years and years. I mean, we were saying, "Hey, there's a problem here," but the official, but this carried on until Dieselgate, creating these wonderful sounding clean vehicles, which in practice they just weren't. Now, mm. why 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 did manufacturers do that? They did that essentially to save money because to put the technology on the car to get the NOx down is expensive. It, it, mm. They can do it, but it's expensive. So if they can avoid doing it by exploiting a loophole. They did it and they did it. Um, unlike in America where they didn't have the loopholes and all the diesels were perfectly clean, um, except the VW ones where they actually broke the law. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, no, no, VW, as far as anyone can really tell us, it, they have not broken the law in Europe in the way that they broke it in the United States. It, and so that's the reason why the fine was so much more in the US than it was in the Europe. Yes. And the fine in, in the fine in Europe, uh, to my knowledge, it's not been disclosed what the fine has been for, for what wrongdoing the fine has been for. Um, so my, my, my take on it is that they've been beaten up behind the bike sheds um, uh, and, and told to cough up some money to, uh, so we can we governments can say we find you. Mm. But it, it's either you know, they, they haven't published any real details as to what the infraction is meant to have been. I suspect mm. there's probably some technical 
paperwork infraction that has been found. So maybe there is a technical non-compliance, but it is very, very different from the US, which was a very significant and clear-cut um, violation, which is why it's cost them almost 30, about $30 billion to, to put mm -hmm. right. Um, but and they're not I, actually I, physically paying a fine, are they, in the US? They're, they're actually being asked to put money into the electrical car in infrastructure. Um, I think a, a small proportion of it is actually um, a sort of monetary fine, but you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. They're being forced to fund the development of a, an electricity uh, charging infrastructure, um, which is it, is what the US does in, in previous infractions by other people. That's they 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 get the miscreant to pay up and use that to fund uh, sort of future development of the transportation How infrastructure. How cool thinking is that? I mean, no, what a well, forward-thinking way to to do things. <laughs> quite, yeah, ab absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was made easier by the fact that VW confessed in the US, so it was it was <laughs> it, it was clear cut that they'd done something wrong, um, and 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 that's why actually the settlements happened quite quickly. Um, they were very expensive, but they were quick and clean. And and most of the legal action is out of the way in the US. The one that rumbles on more is in is in Europe, because it's all me messy and unclear whether they've done anything anything wrong. Um, but anyway, the, but the, so but the point the point being that so the European regulations, due to this incestuous relationship, um, were. Um, were created with these loopholes, which then they then used, which were meaning that the cars on the road were actually dirty, despite being legal. Mm. And the and this is not a small problem. If we look at it, there are approximately 40 million of these diesel vehicles that are, quote, over-emitting on the roads of Europe, about 8 million of which are in the UK. Mm. Um, that is one of the big reasons why cities are missing their air quality targets. You know, that's a large number of vehicles. It's also the reason that everyone is scared of actually tackling the problem because putting right 40 million dirty diesel vehicles, which, as you said, have been sold to people in good faith and have been, in fact, they've been positively encouraged to buy them. Mm. Um, but suddenly putting that, uh, having to put that right, it is a big argument as to who should foot the bill. Um, and, and because the manufacturers are, are not have not done anything technically legally wrong, it's proven very hard for the governments to get them to fund it. So there's currently a big battle going on as to who should pay to clean up these 40 million vehicles. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so, so that's 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 the nature of the problem. So, but diesels, if you do deploy the after treatment system correctly, like happened in the US on BMWs, on Mercedes, on uh, Chevrolets. Um, they can be very, very clean. Um, it comes as a bit of a price. So that is why diesels are slightly more expensive than the equivalent petrol. So to buy, they're slightly more expensive, but then you get the 25% fuel economy advantage. So mm -hmm. it pays you back if you do, I think even if you do average mileage, it, it pays back mm -hmm. quite quickly. Um, but why why does everyone think all diesels are dirty well it is it is the, the the it is dieselgate and the the reaction to it from from policymakers which has led to this blanket demonization of diesel when actually the truth of it is yes there are a lot of dirty ones out there but there are some clean ones as well and don't tarnish a technology um yeah. for what actually is regulatory failure 
Now, um, I'm going to ask the next question, kind of having spoken to um, Emma, who had spoken to you before, but the I want to go out and buy a hybrid um, petrol vehicle. Mm-hmm. What are your What are your thoughts on What are your thoughts on that? So, there's a lot of vehicles out there now that you can you have all the batteries and you can charge them up and you can drive around the city for 30 miles an hour or until the battery goes down and then you switch over to petrol. Is that a good thing? So, are you specifically talking a plug-in hybrid that you're looking at? Yeah, plug-in hybrid. Plug-in hybrid. Okay. So, plug-in hybrids. So, they're one of those things which on the surface of it sound like the best of both worlds. Um, And it is true that they probably are the best of both worlds, but actually for fairly narrow usage case, Hmm. they're actually, they turn very rapidly being into the, being the worst of all worlds if you don't, if you use them in a different way. So if you, the, the problem with the battery, so it'll only take you 10, 20 miles, something like that. And then after that, and you're running on the engine, firstly, the engine typically is typically a downsized engine. So you'll then have a small little engine time, time to power quite a reasonably large car. And that will be fundamentally inefficient. Plus, you've got this battery, which is heavy. Um, so you're carrying around a dead weight, which makes that even worse. So you go very rapidly from the first 20 miles on battery only, which is virtually emissions free and efficient to then something which is much less efficient than if you just got a normal car. Mm. So uh, what's crucial is how, what are the pattern of journeys that you drive? If you drive lots of short journeys and you have the opportunity to charge up in between, then it probably is a good option. Mm. If you, if you actually are driving longer journeys or, and, or you don't have chance to, charge it up every time then it can be actually a lot worse than going for say one of these very clean diesel vehicles and the thing which (laughs) the added thing which is a bit of a bizarre observation is that actually many of the people who've bought these plug-in hybrids have been incentivized to deliberately not charge them up um so if you so it's uh, so these have been particularly popular on company car fleets because of the low right. VED. But mm. many of those same companies pay for your fuel, but they don't pay for the extra electricity off your home uh, electricity bill. So <laughs> when you go home, you have a positive incentive not to charge your plug-in hybrid up. Yeah. Um, I've not thought like that before. <laughs> uh, and, and, and the government's well aware of this problem and they're trying to figure out what to do. And I think that's partly mm. behind why the plug-in uh, tax grant thing was uh, withdrawn recently to much outcry but essentially i mean is it abuse i I don't know but it it, it, it's a unintended consequence of the of the interaction of the ved with the company car rules that has led to to quite a lot of plug-in hybrids on the road that people deliberately don't charge up Um, but let's say let's say you're well behaved and you do charge Mm. up at every opportunity you can and if you're Mm. doing lots of short journeys actually it probably is a good choice Right. Uh, and you'll have very low tailpipe emissions. Um, but, if you, but if you're doing longer journeys, um, then it, it is probably, it, it will be worse on CO2, not, uh, well, not, not CO2, CO and particles than, than a diesel. Mm. Um, so you need to think carefully. I, I, I would certainly say they are not a panacea. 
They are not, they are they are not some technology that's going to transform the car market. They're going mm. to. I think they will work fine for a narrow market share. Mm. Traditional hybrids, non-plug-in hybrids, I think actually are a, a, a for generalised driving is a, is is, a, is quite a good bet. And it is mm. it is a it is a viable alternative to um, the diesel vehicle in terms of you know comparable fuel economy. Mm. Um, and particularly the Toyota Prius, the fourth generation Toyota Prius has um, uh, really come on a lot in terms of its uh, fuel economy. Um, so you still need to pick quite carefully, but, but, um, but, but those you know, traditional or, or full hybrids, as they're called, uh, are quite a good bet. Um, if you like that type of vehicle, I mean, it does come with certain dr driving characteristics. If you like, you know, rapid acceleration and uh, and the low down torque you get with a diesel, then a, a hybrid is not for you. But um, mm. if you're not that style of driver, then yeah, it's a good mm. choice. What about what about the? I used to own a Honda Civic IMA, and the reason why we bought it was we bought it a long time ago, and I now no longer own it. But it was. We bought it because we figured it was the most environmental thing at that time. It was when Toyota Prius were just coming out as well, and we were doing longer distances, so therefore I figured that because we were on the motorway more than doing shorter distances, it made more sense to have electric powering the acceleration as opposed to, and then just charging up as we were cruising. It, what, what's your thoughts on that technology? Well, the one, the one bit uh, that is definitely beneficial is the regenerative braking uh, the, the achilles heel of the internal combustion engine is that it operates at about 35 percent thermal efficiency i two-thirds of the heat is wasted um, and quite a lot of that's in braking so if you can recapture some of that energy via regenerative braking and then use that to help accelerate the vehicle that's a very good that's a very good approach and we haven't tested that 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 uh, civic ima uh, i think it predates us testing well, yeah um, no it's more uh, that technology as a whole yeah, i mean yeah. i was looking at buying a, a petrol vehicle that was a hybrid is that a good um way to go into it that very very um you know completely combines both technologies you're neither on pure electric neither on pure petrol yeah, I know. No, well, that if you have something which is, you know, is, is effective regenerative braking and is using that for power boosting to keep the internal combustion engine at its most efficient spot with the electricity, mm. then making up the difference when you need a burst, then that actually that's very that is very clever. And that's, um, you know, has now been over the generations of, of hybrids has been really refined and made better and better so it is good but i but i would caveat that it's it is if you compare it to the best diesels on the market actually mm. the difference is it's not it's not so dramatically different um mm. in, in t it's it it probably is now pull pull the head of diesels but not we're not talking twice as good as diesels yeah. uh, we're talking about uh, you know incremental uh, Im improvements and so one observation to make about hybrids compared to diesels is if you take an average sized diesel vehicle and drive it really hard, then, mm. then it doesn't increase, it doesn't make your MPG that much worse. Whereas if you go and take a, a hybrid vehicle and drive it really hard, heavy acceleration, up hills, then mm. the, the, the fuel economy will suffer badly. 
So you've got yeah. a so you've got a sensitivity. So if you're a light footed driver, then a hybrid would probably be a very good option. Mm. But don't then drive aggressively, um, because then the thing may will well be worse than the alternative. It's really not that black and white, is it? For everything, there's nothing in all this. There's nothing. <laughs> there, there is no black and white. Even pure battery electric vehicles, uh, you have to the two concerns are obviously one is the source of the electricity in the first place um, now uh, that is uh, actually in pretty much all countries around the world it's still better to to, to have to have the EV um, unless you're doing it a hundred percent on coal um, then you, you will be better on co2 but again the gap is not as big as you think when you take into account that upstream co2 but the other thing to bear in mind with pure EVs is those vehicles are like for like heavier than, than internal combustion. The battery pack is very heavy. Um, and tire wear is a function of vehicle weight. So you get more tire wear on an EV than you do on a traditional vehicle. Um, and that is uh, linked to this whole microplastics debate. So what happens is you get all this little tiny sort of uh, vulcanized rubber beads or abrasions from the tires, which then gets washed into the drains, which then get washed into the sea and end up inside fish, um, which is the current worry. So mm. if you've got, so you may have an EV, which is, let's say, 20% lower CO2, um, but it has higher particles. So, you probably overall, you could argue that it is still better for the environment in the round, but it's not as, you know, it's not it's not so dramatically different. Um, and, and I haven't mentioned lithium and cobalt. I don't, in a way, I don't really want to get into that. That's not. You know, we actually have that on another podcast. Funny enough, we've got a battery. A manufacturer <laughs> that talks about that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's one of those which has become a very emotional and charged debate as yeah. to you know the right and wrongs of digging up cobalt mm. in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's yeah. it's not something which is my particular area of speciality, so I'll leave it to others. Mm. So, but if you just look at it in the emission sense, mm. so an EV will be better for CO two, um, yeah. but it'll be worse for particles. So. Mm choose your poison is is uh, my general thing there, there's no clear and easy way out of this this is a uh, you know, this is a long-term thing for the industry to make their cars better and better year on year mm. and it's a and for the consumer it's a question of informing yourself and making sure you're yeah. buying the cleanest vehicle for what you're going to do with it yeah, um, and you can make a big difference. You can make a huge difference as a consumer. If you buy the quote wrong vehicle, you can make massive difference compared to buying the, the, the most suitable vehicle. And that's why it was so tragic that the, all the official figures turned out to be misleading in Europe mm. because it was, it, it was misinforming people. And so people thought they were doing the right thing from an environmental point of view, but often they were doing exactly the wrong thing. And, mm. and anyway, that's what, I, that's what motivated me in the first place to, to try and set this right. Here's something that we could do. We could set up a questionnaire that um, asks a series of questions and then leads you down to end up with a car that suits you. Oh yeah, I know exactly. I mean, that can definitely be done. Yeah, to say you know, tell really us, 
tell us, what, tell us right. how you drive. You know what you need yeah. to. How much? You know how big does your vehicle need to be? What's your driving mm. style? Um, what's mm. the road mix that you? Uh, and, uh, do you like running the AC all the time? We we have all that sort of data that allows you to. Mm. You know, effectively, we can ingest. If you put a telematics in your vehicle and then send us the send us the the details of how you've driven um you we can model that through our data and say actually for your driving the most suitable vehicle is x right is that is that a service that you do offer um we at, uh, we do do um a service like that in america where if you right. go on the motortrend.com website you, you you can choose your car and then you can you can tailor it by telling us about your road mix and driving style and uh, and congestion levels and it'll take the the headline mpg number uh, right. and uh, and it'll give you your personalized mpg it's called it's called equa mpg right. so uh, it's only in the us market at the moment um but it, wor- it works it works quite effectively and it'll it illustrates the point of if you change that um driving style slider for a hybrid it hugely affects the mpg but if you do it on a on a two liter diesel it has very little effect um so yes and uh, but uh, behind the scenes you know it can be done with using detailed telematics data if uh, if there's a uh, interest so if you've got um you've got the audi um a4 estates you've got a vw transporter um two liter you've got a vw golf two liter and the Skoda, whatever, Skoda, Fabia, um, 2 litre. You've got basically all the same engines. Mm-hmm. Are you going to get the same emissions coming out at the back? Or is it absolutely different? Um, if you're talking about one of the, the, the relatively recent versions of those models, okay. um, within the last two years, say, then you will get very similar levels of emissions, um, pollutant emissions. So uh, NOx, CO or particles, very, very similar. Uh, they, they share the same after treatment systems. Uh, they have particle filters on them, which are 99% effective. There'll be virtually no carbon monoxide because diesel generally doesn't produce it anyway um so uh, where it will be different will be on mpg and co2 uh, but that will be largely a function of the weight of the vehicle yeah yeah that makes sense that's that's um that's pretty so what got you into this how did you how did you become go from being an economist into understanding the emissions of vehicles um well i i see actually the lineage is 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 quite close in that it is market failure and that's what a lot of economics uh, uh, studies um, but in practical terms I mean I was uh, I've done a lot of work in automotive data in pricing and over the years um, and it was simply it was a question which kept being getting raised um, uh, by by associates and friends saying I just bought a car the brochure said it was going to do 60 miles a gallon I don't know what I'm doing wrong I'm only getting 45 is it broken should I take it back to the garage <laughs> Um, and when you know enough people had asked me this, I thought, I mean, there's something going on here. They can't all be broken, um, and uh, and also, you know, whenever they took their car back to the garage, these friends would be fobbed off, or would be something cosmetic would be done to it. The car would be handed back and told there's nothing wrong with it, and they'd still be getting 45. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it I, 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 I smelt a, an issue there, mm-hmm. uh, and thought, and I tried to find data tried to find data in the public domain and uh, very very little 
Um, and so and the only way to really bottom this out is to go and collect some primary data ourselves. Um, mm. Very rapidly uncovered, you know, the, the, at the time it was 20 odd percent average difference on mpg um, which mm. then every year we were testing that grew every year it's now about 35 percent gap um, but we measured knocks at the same time and i mean and, uh, you know we weren't expecting it we weren't really focused on knocks we didn't expect an issue but when we started mm. looking at our data we, we found the, the the five times exceedances on average and uh, and and then dieselgate happened which um you know, um, meant that those who tried to explain away the findings that we were getting and say, oh, this, you know, it's all perfectly explainable, nothing to see here. It's uh, just because how you drive or it's because it's a bit mm. cold um, was proven to be actually it was a industrial scale legal cheating that was causing it. Um, so, yeah, so, so from that, um, you know, why can't I get the MPG in the brochure? <laughs> led led uh, one one step at a time to to unearthing what was going on um, behind Dieselgate. So when did you start doing what you're doing? Uh, so we launched in. We started our first test in the summer of 2011. Okay, so you've been uh, going for quite a while now. Yeah, and we've tested over 2,000 cars, vans, uh, diggers, cranes, trucks tractors, generators, barges. Uh, we've tested pretty, mu pretty much anything that burns fossil fuel. Um, right. we, we've stuck our equipment, equipment on um, and, and uh, we built possibly the largest, I think it is the largest commercially available database worldwide uh, of real world emissions. And you are largely in the US or are you um, half and half US, EU? Or? Uh, it is... I. In terms of our activity, I would say it's roughly a third, a third, a third, a third UK, a third mm -hmm. Europe, and a third US. Uh, we have also just launched a joint venture in Korea as well, um, okay. which is a, a sort of nascent stage. Um, but yeah, no, so um, UK was our original centre, um, and, mm -hmm. and then we, then we branched out into Germany and the US. And how do you get your funding? Well, it's it's entirely uh, so it's privately funded um, to private shareholders, uh, and uh, the the we put all the data we do in we gather into a database, and people can pay to subscribe. So if you right. want to know if you want to know the detail behind our public ratings, you subscribe and pay money for that. You can also commission us to do testing. Right. Uh, so those two revenue streams are what um, fund the Equa program. So what um what who would you say tends to buy your data what sort of companies would be wanting to buy it well it's a, it's a wide range actually i mean car manufacturers um i mean so you do get sometimes the absurd, <laughs> the absurd, the absurd thing that their pr departments are criticizing us publicly at the same time as their engineers are subscribing um uh, but you know rationality is uh, <laughs> overrated um so 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 manufacturers i mean the governments regulators have bought it um uh uh, some of the tier one suppliers have, but also interestingly, financial institutions as well. So, I mean, there's obviously a lot of money riding on what's the future of diesel as a technology mm. and should a, whatever sovereign wealth fund, should they be in, mm. keeping their investments in BMW or whoever it is, or should mm. they be getting out because they're gonna, the profitability is mm. going to fall? So actually ours gives a sort of leading indicator of the 
share price performance of these uh, companies that are exposed. Uh, to stay in, by the sounds of it. Keep buying well, those <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, there's you know, thing, there's a massive difference between the best and the worst manufacturers. So, so some of them are really clean. Um, on average, uh, but others are still very dirty, um, uh, even today. And I mean, and yeah, it may come as a surprise, but um, one of the very cleanest uh, manufacturers for their diesel vehicles uh, in practice is Volkswagen. Yeah, that doesn't. Um, yeah, personally, that doesn't surprise me. I think. Uh, <laughs> so how, you know, it's. Uh, how this can be is uh, maybe a story for another day, but it is, yeah. but it's true. Um, so it really, you know, you could, you could argue, right. You, you, you go long in the ones that are clean and you go short in the ones that are dirty, but then you've also got the overriding thing is well, actually diesel as a technology. Is it going to be in practice outlawed um, mm. by, by, by government and city regulations? That's. Uh, and also yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a point, there's a lot of money riding on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we provide data which allows then people to refine their investment decisions. And do you, are you finding that um, the environment and sustainability as a whole is driving a lot of maybe subscriptions to your service or wanting to have the knowledge of what it is you're doing and understanding cars? Or do you think it's purely financially driven? I think the people who are using our ratings, the Equa Index ratings, are doing it for that motivation. So it's either private individuals or fleets uh, wanting to do the right thing, wanting to take an environmental position. Right. Um, okay. From the subscriber side, I think it it it's it doesn't work quite like that. It's um, it's it, your the primary thing you're generally responding to is the regulations. Mm-hmm. So so you you want to see. Um, you know what our view of the, uh, how compliant people's cars are. They mm. want to know how good their technology is compared to their rivals' technology. They want, mm. you know, they want to know if they've, yeah, if they've got a car which is a bit risky, bit bit marginal for compliance, those sorts mm. of things. So it doesn't, whether or not in the background in their minds they have a sort of environmental motivation. I don't know, but the mm. the, the, the the primary motivation is to um, produce com- compliant cars that sell well. Mm. And, uh, and and that's what our data can help them with. So what could our listeners do? They want to, if they want to buy a new car, um, where would you suggest they go? What would you, what, what sort of things should they think about? I mean, could they go to the American website and have a look at it? And will that give them an idea of the type of vehicle for the UK or um, if you're not in the US as a listener? Uh, so well, th- we've got uh, local sites in a lot of countries now. So if you're, if you're in the US, um, you go to usa.equorindex.com and it, you have all the ratings based on our US test program. If you go to just the regular www.equorindex.com, you'll get to the UK data. Mm-hmm. But equally, there's fr.equorindex.com for France. Italy has one. Spain, the Netherlands, Belgium, Poland all have... Um, a, a localized in the local language version of of our ratings. So uh, I think from a buyer's point of view, whether you're a business buyer or a, or a private buyer, um, go go and do do the research when you're doing. Do not trust the label in that says Euro Six. Um, <laughs> when you see that in the brochure, think actually. I really need to look it up on equorindex.com to see what the reality is. It's, it's been totally debased as a, 
as a rating Euro 6 and you should not trust it. Um, and uh, you need to find out the, the, the real world so, and, and go to our site and then you can get the real world NOx, CO um, uh, and uh, fuel economy and CO2. Uh, it gives you I wonder, I wonder if um, if Brexit happens or when Brexit happens, depending on who you know, whatever, the, um, <laughs> if the legislation will change because we, we won't be governed by EU. So we will not be governed by the Euro um, emissions then. Well, I think we, the answer is yes and no. I think... Um, the, well, I cannot believe that we we won't, we will not suddenly create our own certification system, and we will not change from the European system to say the American system. It, it's not going to happen. So we will still use the European system for certification. Um, where it might diverge is in what's called surveillance. So governments are meant to uh, basically do spot checking, like America does, to make sure no one's cheating. So mm. random selection of vehicles every year um, uh, to, and then you test the vehicles and, and, and just make sure everyone's behaving themselves. Now the European regulations set down a requirement for surveillance. Um, if we're outside of that, e even if we, the cars are type approved, it's called the compliance is called type approved, type approved to the European system, we could take a different approach to surveillance. That might mean we, we do more surveillance or less surveillance. We might have a whole different um, framework of fines for people who are found cheating. That's, that's where the divergence will, may well come. But we're not going to diverge from the original certification. That would be madness. Okay. Brilliant. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. It's been, uh, it's been brilliant learning more about what cars to buy and... Um, yeah, the whole thing about emissions and how it's not black and white. Yeah, um, but also you, <laughs> they, they, every individual can make a material difference if they buy well. That's mm. that's and that's that's a good thing. So people are not powerless, mm. uh, and and through with in, the, this information, um, you can then make a better decision and and make a you know a genuine impact on on the environment. So I, I think that's uh, that's uh, something that everyone can go away. And uh, bear in mind when they're going shopping for their next uh, for their next car. Um, uh, but no, well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been an interesting uh, discussion, and uh, uh, it's uh, yeah, well, it's it's uh, three years after Dieselgate, and the thing has very much not gone away. And I'm expecting this mm -hmm. issue to rumble for very years and years to come, which will be. Yeah, keep up the good work. Thank you so much for doing everything you're doing. Um, no thank you. Thank you. All right. Great. Cheers, Nick. Okay. Bye -bye. Thanks all. Good to meet you. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. We created this podcast for you. So we'd really appreciate any feedback you want to give us. You can do that by rating and reviewing on your favourite podcast. Or for iTunes, visit www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash apple. If you'd like to keep in touch then we invite you to join our free Facebook community, which is everything to do with sustainable and ethical business. Lots of daily conversations, themes and great ideas. A really great place to work and network with like-minded individuals. If you open Facebook and search for the green element, hit the group search function, we will let you right in. 
All of the show notes, any links, any references to the, on this podcast will be featured on our website, greenelement.co.uk. As a special thank you for listening, please head over to www.greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018 and you can pick up a free guide on how to green up and environmentalise your business or organisation. That's greenelement.co.uk forward slash podcast 2018. Finally, I would like to thank Ben Chatwin for writing the fantastic opening music. He is an amazing artist with a phenomenal following. It was a privilege he said yes to even write it for us. We look forward to seeing you next week and hope you have a wonderful day.